From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger. I'm Mia Wagner. And I'm Michael Mikowski. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other experts to hear their thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the political and global changes that the situation has warranted. This is 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are excited to interview Kate Kruzanga, who majored in political science and international studies and graduated from UW in 2007. Kate is the manager of strategy and operations at Dropbox in San Francisco. We are grateful to Kate for talking to us today about her own impressive career trajectory and advice she might have for undergrads and recent graduates. We'll also ask Kate to give us some insight into what her company does and how students who may be interested in this career path might go about it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. So uh, starting off, in terms of choosing your major and the start of your professional education, what were you thinking about when you chose political science and international studies here at UW? So I can't say it was necessarily a practical choice. I think it was definitely something where I thought that would be interesting to study. I kind of followed on some things I found interesting to study in high school. I kind of thought I wanted to do like international aid work perhaps, and that would be a great major to start with to do that. So I really let my passions follow me. I think my mom was actually really influential in this. She had gotten a very practical major in undergrad herself but then mid-career made a pretty big change and went into a very different field because she kind of felt like life was too short just to kind of take the safe job that like, you know, would exist. You've got to somewhat follow your passions because you're going to be able to have a much bigger impact. So I figured I'd kind of go for it and figure it out as I went. After uh, your graduation from UW, what has your professional career kind of looked like, especially in terms of like finding a job maybe in the industry of political science and international studies or veering off completely separate from it? So I had a little bit of an interesting end to my undergraduate career. So I think a big reason why my husband and I donate to the political science department is the department was pretty decimated in the spring of 2007. I remember about hitting spring break and finding out a good chunk, probably a third of the professors it seemed like that I took classes with and I was interested in taking further classes with were leaving the department. Um, There just wasn't funding. There were really great offers from other schools. So I pretty much decided at that point to graduate and in three years instead of four because I had enough credits to do it. Um, So at that point, I had known I wanted, like I said before, to maybe do some international aid work. So I had applied to Peace Corps and I got in, but the medical clearance process takes an eon. So I decided, you know, that could take up to a year. So what do I want to do in the interim? So I decided to stay in Madison and I joined an AmeriCorps program called Schools of Hope where I volunteered Uh, coordinated volunteers in three elementary schools in Madison. And I think that was really formative for me in thinking about issues of equality and justice and poverty and opportunity because my kids were wicked smart and their parents were incredibly hardworking, but they just were facing obstacles at every turn and just didn't have the same opportunities in life. And that just felt so unfair. And I knew even with all the things my program was offering, it wasn't enough 
right? So I think that kind of lit a fire under me. But I think I also, you know, was like, maybe I should use this degree. Maybe I want to go into the policy side of things. So I ended up after the end of that AmeriCorps year, I was really lucky. I scored a government job, which was extra fortuitous because I think the bottom of the economy fell out kind of at the end of 2008 there. So I stuck in that job. It was pretty boring. But I, what I will say is going into an operations job early in your career is really a great thing to do that makes you fairly recession proof. I think for people who are thinking about what they're doing right now or this summer, even if you have to do something pro bono or as a volunteer, gaining some operational skills, can you work at Excel? Can you manage someone's calendar? Um, can you manage a budget? Can you write a great project plan? Those things will never let you down. And if you've got those foundational skills, they'll let you kind of bounce around. So even if you wanna switch to a new industry, you can switch into a, kind of an operations role um, regardless because you have those foundational skills so I focused on building that early in my career um you mentioned your operation skills that really helped you out later in your career are there any other skills that you think students should be developing in their time at educational institutions that maybe aren't being focused on right now yeah, I think what we're finding is somebody who's worked in HR too is like, yes, you want to have like the great like hard skills, you want to have subject matter expertise, like whatever your craft is, you want to be great at your craft. But the broad array of other skills that we're looking for are soft skills, right? I think like at Dropbox, we just redid our career frameworks and craft is like one of uh, almost a dozen pillars we want people to focus on, right? So it's like, you, you gotta be great technically if you're an engineer here, but you still need a lot of other skills. I think the same is true as political science majors. I think we often think we're all soft skills, but, but there are some things that you really do wanna focus on. I think being able to be a clear communicator in writing, in speaking, um, in how you create like visuals too. Like I think that we all end up in a lot of jobs where we create a lot of PowerPoint or slides or other collateral. Being able to do that really well um, is always useful. I think also our ability to network is really important. I think too often students kind of hang out with their crew of like 10 to 15 folks you assembled. I think I was guilty of that in some ways too. But I think the more you broaden your network, that's gonna help you later in your career, right? So when I look back on jobs I've gotten, so many of them were because of the different networks I'm a part of. Because I worked for Teach for America for a long time, that's a phenomenal network. And because people know how hard it is to get into that network, and they know people share their language values and experiences, somebody who was part of TFA who I don't even know, I can probably reach out to them cold on LinkedIn and they'll vouch for me or help connect me or refer me to a job. And that's happened, you know, even in the last year for me. So I think the more you can build a, like a reputation and a brand and be involved in different associations can only benefit you. Yeah, that's excellent advice for anyone carving out your own networks and ways to get involved with people. Are there any other ways that you might suggest for students uh, or recent grads, any other strategies that they can utilize to kind of carve out their own little niche among their networks in the private industry? Yeah, I think like doing some self-exploration of what you want your brand to be can be really helpful. And I think a great tool there is 
to actually be willing to embrace some like brutally honest feedback, right? So I think at different points in my career, I think at a point like a few years ago, I was trying to kind of figure out how to reestablish my brand or strengthen my brand. I actually sent a survey to like pretty much all my collaborators when I was working at a big healthcare company, Kaiser Permanente, people I'd worked with through my church, through neighborhood association, good friends. And I was just like, of these things, like what am I best at and what am I terrible at? And people were really brutally honest and there were a lot more things that I was terrible at. So it was actually pretty funny to be able to say, okay, I'm not great at these things. These are a few areas where I need to like grow my muscle and do some humble self-reflection and improve. But like, these are a few themes of things I'm great at. So it's like, how do I emphasize that? And how do I take roles or take on new projects in my existing role that allow me to build on those strengths where I can just knock it out of the park and hit some home runs? Because that's going to make me really valuable to my leadership and to my company, right? So I think like I've been able, and having a brand also helps you kind of curate your narrative. I think in my career journey, I've let my experience kind of in my curiosity, um, kind of dictate where I go. So I've been able to flow from industry to industry. I've worked in education. I've worked for like a state elections board. I've worked for a big healthcare company. Now I'm working at a tech company. I've worked in, you know, program. I've worked in operations. I've worked in business development, but I can carve a narrative of like, you know, I had operational skills and then I've used those operational skills to contribute to business development. I then kind of became an expert in that area, but I swung over into general business strategy. And then because I was great at general business strategy, there's an opportunity to do something interesting. I swung into HR and I can kind of craft a narrative that doesn't feel disjointed to a recruiter or a hiring manager when I interview. So I think being able to articulate why you made the choices you did and turn that into a smoother story for like, actually, have really broad experience that can be helpful in bringing a multiplicity of viewpoints like that's something I can bring to the table for other people it might be like I'm really deep in this craft and you're not going to find anyone better than me in x because I built my whole career there and that's great too kind of turning now to your career at Dropbox right now you kind of started to mention it at the end there but what is it you do at Dropbox yeah so as I kind of mentioned in my last answer I've kind of carved a, a little bit of a circuitous arc in my career in some ways. Um, I started out in operations, I moved into business development, and then into broader business strategy. But an opportunity arose when I joined my last company, Kaiser Permanente, to kind of go into the human capital strategy space. It ended up being a space I really enjoyed. Um, I like it because it allows me to talk to business leaders and understand what the business strategy is. So like in IT, are you trying to accelerate the speed of your development? Are you trying to enhance your liability and security? But then get to ask really interesting and thorny and sticky foundational questions about like, what do you need from your people or your culture or your training or your career programs to actually unlock and accelerate your progress towards your business goals? So I've really enjoyed doing that. And I think like that's what I've been able to get to do a lot at Dropbox is actually figure out how the people team can solve a lot of business problems at a company that is fairly recently IPO'd. It's like a teenage company that's coming into maturity and greater profitability. And how do we enhance our systems and set up new policies and protocols that just really allow us to remove the friction from doing business? That sounds awesome. Sounds like a lot of fun. I have fun. <laughs> what um, does your typical workday look like, especially now that typical workdays are few mm -hmm. and far between? 
Right. So I'll, I'll give you both takes, right? So typical workday um, pre-COVID was actually fairly diverse. And that's something I've really loved about my kind of role. So I would say our team does a lot of foundational things. I work in strategy and operations in HR. Um, so we like manage the team's budget. We manage reporting of all of our human capital data up to our C-suite. So, you know, what is our hiring rate? What's our attrition rate of people who are leaving? How are we doing on diversity goals? All those sorts of things. So those are kind of keep the lights on initiatives. And those are pretty static and we know when they're going to be due every month. But then I get to do a lot of like fun special projects. Like right now, I'm working on like, what are our remote work policies? We didn't really have a super formal one, but we need one now that 100% of the company is remote and people are starting to say, hey, maybe, maybe I could do this more in the future, right? Um, I think with COVID, my days look pretty crazy. Um, I'm really grateful to be at a company where as a parent, I've been fully supported. I know that hasn't been the case in a lot of America, but I've got to say, like, I think the tech industry has really done this well. Uh, we've been a leader for a while in providing people like six months of paid parental leave. I think we are continuing to back up our parents. So I'm working kind of weird hours. I'll like get my toddler ready in the morning, be on, try and be on from core business hours between like eight and two. And then I'm usually with my son after his nap until he goes to bed. And then I'm back online, you know, usually between like eight and 11. You know, I try and take some nights off and try and still carve out balance. But, you know, it's pretty fun to be with my son during the day too. So I'm trying to embrace the good things about this season. My, my son is learning to talk and starting to string together full sentences. And he learned to jump yesterday, which is like a harder skill than I guess I thought. But it, he was really excited about it. So it's like being there to witness the small moments like that has been really awesome. So I would say my days are a little um, blurry between what is work and what is home, but I'm trying to just like lean in and be present for both of them. What are some of your strategies then for that balance of home and work life? Like you, you mentioned, kind of keeping that schedule of like eight to two is your business hours and otherwise during the day, uh, it's like your family time. Are your, do you have any other strategies that help out with um, that divide, that balance? Yeah, I mean, for me, that, that's what worked with my kids' age in this season, and we have, like, some part-time help from an nanny in the morning, so it allows my husband and I to both be present. And for us, it was easy for our coworkers just to know consistently that's when they can for sure schedule meetings. But I think embracing that everyone's in a different season, I think the big thing is about like clear communication um, about what you need. Um, if people want to follow me on LinkedIn, I published a, a template for what parents could use. I think it's actually great for what people want to do in this season because there are a lot of just weird demands on our life and it can take two hours to get milk at the grocery store sometimes, the lines, at least out here. So I think just communicating this is what my days are looking like. These are my goals. This is what needs to move or shift or flex. Um, I think also for me, I've done like some self-identification. Work-life balance isn't as important to me. Work-life flexibility is, right? So it's like if I need to go hard in a season, I'm actually willing to lean in and do that and put in 60 hour weeks sometimes, even though I'm also juggling family and things like that. I'm willing to work some late nights, work somewhat during my son's naps on weekends, things like that. But what are like the sacred things you do protect? Like I'm never going to work between like five and seven. So like we eat dinner as a family. I want to hang out with my son until he takes a bath and goes to bed at, at the bare minimum. And it's got to be something like 
pretty urgent to, to bug that time. So, but I think like for some people, like having work-life balance is essential. I have friends where they're like, I can't, like, I just need a job that's like nine to five. And if it's going to bug me after hours, I would be miserable. And I think doing that self-identification is really great career advice. So figure out what your non-negotiables are and no matter how great the job is, if it's not going to take care of your non-negotiables, it's going to be a nightmare. And that's wise advice my mentor has given and it's always held true. Yeah, I love the concept you mentioned of not necessarily like work-life balance, but work-life flexibility. I totally understand that, you know, like in the political industry, you're not going to mm -hmm. not get bothered after 5 p.m. You know, like the news mm -hmm. still happens after 5. Um, it does. I think that's I think that's excellent advice. With your work right now, how are you how are you finding it best to navigate communication with your coworkers? Um, you know, like phone calls and emails can be easily lost in the shuffle. What kind of strategies are you imploring to communicate effectively with your coworkers? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I think, again, this is one of those things where I'm so fortunate to be at the company I'm at. So I think our mission right now is a lot of people still think of Dropbox as like, that's where I store like my files in the cloud so I can access them anywhere. But I think last fall, we actually launched kind of a new concept that's meant to compete with like the Google suite or the Dropbox platform can actually be the center of your communication, your collaboration talk the day. And I think we really do try to embrace what we preach as a company. So I actually noticed that I get far fewer emails and I'm way less fragmented than I like even look at my husband's work. He's over on Microsoft Teams and he's just really struggling because he's got like emails coming in over here and then he's got like Teams chats and then their documents are getting emailed back and forth. It just looks nightmarish. But I think for us, we try and do the majority of our work in our Dropbox spaces. So your documents are there, the visuals are there, the PowerPoints are there and the conversation happens there too. So people like write comments or add, edit in real time in collaborative work virtually and asynchronously without having to be on the phone. So I think that really helps. Um, and I think like we use Slack a fair amount too. So it's like, can I just quick resolve this with a chat back and forth so I don't have to take a 30 minute meeting on your calendar? Because I think something we've found as a good rule of thumb is like meeting agendas tend to grow to fit the time they've been allocated for. So if I can advise anything else, that whole feature that Microsoft and Google also have where it's like you have the shortened meeting of 55 minutes in 25 minutes, like that script follow-up test, you don't forget about them or they don't languish till the end of the day. So that's um, pretty key. And then the other thing our teams do is like, we do try and take time for like a 15 minute stand up a few times a week. So you can just quickly sync on like what's moving, what's stuck, where we might need help. Um, so nothing really catches people by surprise and it allows us to just go fast and iterate. Now that we're, a ways in, uh, we can turn back to what maybe students can do um, and advice you have for students. What, what advice might you have for students to distinguish themselves from other graduates from other universities around the country? Like what, what do you think makes a better hire out of, of, of a recent grad other than you know, like a strong GPA or being from a good university? That's a great question. 
Um, I think, honestly, there are a lot of great universities out there. And honestly, nobody's looking at your GPA. Like if you're applying to grad school, maybe, or a consulting firm, but I don't think I've ever asked for someone's GPA and I've hired a lot of people, right? So there are certain things where you do need that GPA for graduate school. I think some like certification programs or like Teach for America, they have to ask because it files into eventual requirements, right? But I think most people aren't asking for that. Um, they're more concerned with like what you bring to the table. And I would say like if coming out of college, you have like one unpaid internship in college on your resume, that's not going to be very attractive, right? So I think all you can do to gain experience, even if it's just volunteer experience, that's really practical and impactful is going to set you apart. When I look at a resume, it maybe gets 30 seconds. It better be visually attractive. So I do not want to see something that is black and white where everything is left aligned and it's super text heavy and it's just not going to stand out. So there are a million templates out there. Even if you go on Etsy and you pay a buck 50 for something that looks attractive, try and stand out because there are people who have phenomenally beautiful graphic design website or websites well they tend to have websites too sometimes now but like having a great resume makes a difference and then just having numerical data on there right so when I think about what I'm held to and what I need to deliver it's really my results so I'm looking for somebody who's delivered results so do not give me a list of your job responsibilities on your website on your resume I can probably assume if your title is operations coordinator what you're responsible for. I wanna know what you did. Did you live, deliver vari budget within 3% variance every month in and out? Like, did you slash 40K off of this initiative, which allowed your team to invest in XYZ? Um, did you get a 96% particip participant approval rate for the training you led with people saying it was like valuable to their jobs? I wanna see what you can deliver um, because the job responsibilities, like I have no way of knowing if you were even good at that or not, if that's all you're telling me. So those are some things I'd suggest. Also, like I know like people who are younger thinking like LinkedIn is overrated, but everything is happening on LinkedIn. Working in HR at a big company, like that's where we put most of our talent do media dollars. That's where we do a lot of our job postings if we can afford it. Um, that is where people come to find connections. You're going to want to be a part of it. So you need that polished LinkedIn profile and start building your network now. And don't hesitate to like add your parents' connections. Like if that's been a family friend for 30 years and they'd be happy to connect with you, take those connections because you will be surprised to find that like those will probably be how you find a job. I know my, my sister will probably hate me for mentioning this, but she knows I love her. But I think she's an instructive example. She was so stubborn coming out of grad school that like, I'm not gonna use LinkedIn. I'm gonna do this on my own. And you know, after six months of working some odd jobs, she was like, okay, I'm gonna network. And within two weeks, she had a great job um, working with Wisconsin Capital. And she was qualified for it all along, but it's just like in a huge slew of resumes, I'm gonna look at the referrals first because those are people folks are vouching for that are great, right? Yeah, that is all excellent advice. What do you think the role of the cover letter is in all this? <laughs> Um, do people still write those anymore? Adam? Unfortunately, yes. I don't yes. think I've looked at a cover letter in <laughs> ages. 
Oh, really? Is this a thing? Okay, nobody in, so if you're applying to a job in tech, I can at least speak to that or anything on the West Coast, really. Unless it's explicitly asking for a cover letter, you probably don't need one. But what I will say is like having a one paragraph pitch about yourself is super helpful in like scoring an interview. So like, let's say you applied to something cold, you should also be going on LinkedIn and seeing if you know anyone at that company who can refer you or like connect you to the hiring manager. A lot of times somebody's connecting me to the hiring manager. And the message I send to that person is like a one paragraph, like three to four sentence blurb on why I think I could pique their curiosity the same way their job description piqued my curiosity, right? So I think like coming out of my job at like Global Citizen Year, which is a small startup I worked at, I was unemployed because like things got reshuffled and reorganized. I was left without a job. I didn't have something else lined up when I left. I was kind of reaching out to everyone, right? But I had like my pitch spiel, which was like, in my last job, I wasn't formally in business development. I was assigned to work in cross-functional projects, but I built out the business development function. I took it out of the CEO's head into a Salesforce-based platform. I built out the pipelines who were positioned to raise 20% more the next year, and that allowed us to expand our operations to India. Like, I feel like I could do the same thing for your company. I hope we can chat further. And I got so many responses when I did that versus a traditional cover letter or like, I saw this role and we both know so-and-so and I hope we can chat soon. Like that doesn't mean anything, but they're like, oh, this person delivers results. I want to hear about how she did that and could she be valuable to me? So figure out what your most impactful recent project is, find roles where that might be valuable to that hiring manager and pitch them if you can. Is there any advice that you want to give to undergrads and recent grads about entering the workforce now, especially considering, you know, yeah. the situation that we are entering into in 2020. Yeah, right. So I know a lot of people have lost their summer internship. If you're a recent grad, you might have had your job offer withdrawn. That stinks. Like everyone can acknowledge that stinks, right? And you're seeing a lot of jobs posted and I can level with you at a lot of companies. They're essentially on hiring freeze. So they might be letting candidates flow into their pipeline, but they're not making much progress. They're not doing the virtual onsites and they're not extending offers because their financial uncertainty is just too great. And then that includes nonprofit and government jobs because they're just not sure what tax revenues or philanthropic donations are going to be. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty. I want to encourage you to keep applying. Um, don't get discouraged there. I think you're never going to get the job if you don't keep trying. But I think also fill your time with purposeful things. Spending eight hours a day applying to jobs is not something you can put on your resume. But I look out there and these nonprofits who can't hire because they suddenly don't have money need help. And they're willing to take a bet on somebody with a little less career experience. And you could actually carve out some very impressive stuff on your resume. So I think about times when I was unemployed, there's an organization called Taproot. There's another organization called Catch a Fire. Or you can just reach out to nonprofits you're passionate about. Like if you love rescuing dogs and you want to reach out to SPCA, like that's great too. But just offer what skills you have and ask if they need free help. You'll usually hear yes, and then you can make a big impact, perhaps an outsized impact on an organization that otherwise couldn't afford that help. And that's also a reference or a referral, people you can add to your network. And a lot of times I've actually seen those turn into full-time jobs. Somebody generates enough value that 
they can actually justify to the manager, this isn't just some bet on the outside and the time funding is scarce. This is somebody who's been coming in virtually, I guess now, 20 hours a week to like do these results for us, right? So I think don't get discouraged, but do find purposeful ways to add bullets to your resume. And it, even if it's not volunteering, if you kind of always wanted to learn to code or learn something about UX design or take some business classes because you want to augment you know, your political science degree with some business acumen. Like Coursera offers free classes if you're unemployed right now. So I would just take them up on that tuition waiver and maybe add to your resume in that way. Yeah, thank you so much for all this excellent advice you've given us today. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come on here so much and your role in the political science mentorship program. Um, so yeah, just thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. For more information regarding the podcast, please visit policy.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. For more information on the university's policies and responses to the pandemic, please visit covid19.wisc.edu. You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. Stay safe and take care of each other.